Hello and welcome to the second episode of Data the Gathering. Today is July 18th, it's uh, 3.30 p.m. and it's really hot outside. I'm your host, Mandeep, a senior data scientist at Antuit. And today we get real about artificial intelligence. Uh, we're joined in the room by Rich Brown, the financial services partner at Antuit, and Shubha Merish, the uh, managing partner for North America at Antuit. Hi. And Hello. myself. Hi. Hey guys, how's it going? So it's hot and I'm having hot coffee. Why would you do that to yourself? I don't even know. Rich, how's it going? I just thought we'd talk about a hot topic, artificial intelligence. <laughs> all right, there you go. Uh, setting it up very well. So as you know, we're uh, all about uh, artificial intelligence today, real intelligence, and hopefully the conversations will be uh, kind of sort of intelligence too. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, let's get started with the news. So the first story today is a very pertinent story to our uh, main discussion topic. It's titled, Making Computers Reason and Learn by Analogy. So we have the Cognitive uh, uh, Science team at Northwestern University, and they have developed a model that could give computers the ability to reason more like humans and even make moral decisions. So they call it Structure Mapping Engine, uh, SME, not to be confused with a subject matter expert. The new model is capable of uh, analogical problem solving, including capturing ways humans spontaneously use analogies between situation to solve moral dilemmas, right? So that's, that's rather interesting. So that's definitely big news, right guys? Because this is impressive. Most people, when we try to make a decision, we think about previous stories, past stories in our lives, and extrapolate, we infer from them. Yep. So there's a little bit of inference going on. So this is definitely an amazing thing. Any any quick thoughts on that? I, I think just in general, one of the other analogies we were using uh, before was how you can take a data scientist and teach them how to tell stories like a marketing person to make that uh, to make the data itself tell the good story and have the humans really understand how to use all the uh, the information and context that a, a computer is processing. And on the flip side, you need the marketing people to think more like data scientists because they can't just go with their intuition and gut all the time. Uh, so I do think the the uh, story or learning by analogy is very very pertinent. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, and the next story, this is uh, this is a good one. So DARPA is building a virtual data scientist assistant through AI. Okay, so very loaded topic there, but let's break it down a little bit. So DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, uh, the uh, Mad Scientist Division of U.S. government announced uh, recently, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, they're launching this data-driven discovery of models, uh, D3M they call it, which aims to help non-experts bridge what it calls data science expertise gap. Now, what does that mean? So DARPA is projecting that we will have a deficit of 140,000 to 190,000 data scientists worldwide uh, within the next uh, decade. So what they have developed, they take any data set in a particular format and they will run all different kinds of regression models, different machine learning, deep learning models on that said data set and produce recommended best fit models. So you could imagine the sort of thing where you minimize uh, the mean square error or whatever error metric you have defined for a model success and you give the user recommendations. 
So that is good because, you know, this way our data scientist doesn't have to sit there, you know, run one model, see how it looks. Okay, it wasn't good, run another one. This could let them do, uh, you know, just here, here, here's a computer program, here's all my data, tell me what I can do with it. But this is much more advanced naturally because it's DARPA. So, so first of all, right? I object. Whoa, okay. <laughs> you just mixed up the, uh, the government uh, coming in and doing something more advanced in the private sector, but, okay. you but, know, we'll, but we'll see how well they can execute Hey that. man, it's DARPA, okay? So, you know, that, that's my only defense on that. But, uh, so th this is pretty cool, right? So first of all, I, I'm, I'm happy because I have job guarantee. So I'll go by McLaren right now, and then we'll do broadcast later. Uh, but let's uh, take a step back here. This is interesting. Now, how, how do you guys think this uh, system would end up dealing, right, really quickly, just tell me, right, will deal with the lack of intuition? That because I know for a fact sometimes when I'm building a model that minimizing the error is not enough. So if this system is uh, set to parameter just minimize the error, is that good? Quick yeah, so, so my view on this is uh, at least in the near to midterm, you are going to have a virtual data scientist, but that'll be an assistant to a data scientist as opposed to an assistant to a layman. And so, so basically it, it goes to improve your productivity, Mandeep, by tenfold, because you have these virtual data scientists running around that you're monitoring, uh, mentoring, in okay. fact. That works. Um, but, but it doesn't lead to a replacement, in my opinion. So it makes you 10 times more productive because you're able to apply your intuition, like you said, on this platform. But I don't think it replaces you. So that's my that's my view, and that's how some of the players that we are talking to are also looking yeah. at this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about that. I'm irreplaceable. I already know that. So that's it for the news today, guys. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments below. I'm I'm pretty sure this will be on iTunes very very soon. So that should be good. Now let's move on to the gather round. Today in the gather round, our main topic uh, it's it's all about artificial intelligence, right? So we're gonna start off with the very first thing. What does uh, artificial intelligence mean, right? It means something to all of us. Uh, since the famous movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, AI has been inherently associated with, associated with robotics, right? So, and then, then came HAL and the Terminators. So every time we think about AI, there's always a physical machine attached to it, which, is, uh, which has become sort of synonymous with that, unfortunately. Uh, AI has uh, it's always been a villain, like every British guy in an American movie, it's always the bad guy, or woman, or thing, I guess. But today, we're going to focus on just two, uh, two things, because it's such a broad topic. Uh, number one, what does artificial intelligence mean to the three of us in the room? And number two, what highly impactful applications of artificial intelligence do we see coming in the near future? and what that will mean for the world. So, Shubham, do you want to start this off? Sure, sure. <clears throat> I think that, uh, and a lot of our audience is, you know, either data scientists or business people trying to understand data, and there's a lot of uh, terms being floated out there, right? So there's AI, there's machine learning, there's deep learning, uh, and they're used interchangeably even with uh, professionals, right? Uh, you know, with, with our peers. So. So my, my, everybody has their own <clears throat> view of it. In my head, AI is synonymous with deep learning um, as opposed to machine learning, which is a, a broader uh, 
category of all machine learning. So, you know, some people put machine learning under AI. I'm putting AI under machine learning. So I'm saying AI is a particular branch of machine learning that deals with neural networks and deep learning. And, um, and it's at its core, the philosophy is that you have a model of the world that you learn from with every interaction and the machine learns from with every interaction and uh, updates that model. And so that's really my view of AI. In other machine learning uh, you know, uh, classifications, uh, you know, single step learning algorithms are actually classified in my mind more as machine learning than AI, which is a iterative um, you know, algorithm and it mimics the brain from a neural net standpoint. So that's the definition of AI for me. Okay. Sir? Yeah, and I think I would tend to agree on most of the points there. I think the one question is really, is the machine really learning or is it just reducing the error rate in a particular model? And, and I think where you look at some of the hype between artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, and, and any other salesperson's uh, way of trying to get you to, to answer his or her call, um, th there is a big distinguishing characteristic there. And, and is the computer really thinking or is it just running a set of computations to reduce the error rate or to come up with an answer? that was originally designed by a human. And I think you know a lot of what AI has right now is, is the latter, and, and it, there is a lot of hype behind it. There's a lot of capabilities that once you get beyond the realm of a general human's understanding, particularly you know, in, in the marketing context, you know, the way the algorithms work are not necessarily well understood, and they'll just bucket that into machine learning or AI and move on with their particular their job task. And I think some of what you were talking about earlier in bridging the gap between like the actual human and the data scientist and then the assistant to the data scientist, I think all of that is going to come into play as you, as you start to move up that progression of, of knowledge and intelligence when a human is thinking about it. Um, so I do think the, the opportunities are there to really draw the line and from an honesty perspective, like, you know, this is really just enhanced computer algorithms or this is actually getting into more cognitive functions. And it's really hard to draw the line because you'll, you'll look at past examples like optical character recognition. That's not really machine learning. Uh, and it's pretty much uh, just a set of computer, computer algorithms now that AI and neural networks have, uh, have really taken off. I think you'll see the same thing happening with speech to text and, and uh, tonal analysis in the voice where that will be ultimately dropped down to some mathematical expression and then no longer be thought of as, uh, as AI or deep learning. So you're saying that... Uh, oh voice uh, recognition or, or empathy or whatever, sentiment recognition by voice is not deep learning? I, I, no, I, I think, well, I mean, as the evolution goes, uh, progresses here, I think you'll see the same thing happen with, with OCR. Like eventually it's mathematical expressions on what letters and, and shapes and numbers look like. Uh, you'll see that happening in image analysis and we've done some work here at Antuit in, in, in looking at um, how we can classify certain images and, and even certain uh, songs for similarities. Uh, when you start to look at uh, voice inflection and, and text for sentiment or, or psychological states, um, I mean, ultimately everything in the universe is some mathematical expression. Yes. Um, and if you can get smart enough to break it down into those components, um, I think then you might actually see AI start to take off. Until then, this is just a leap of faith and ways that computers can get um, better, smarter, faster. Very good point. I'll come back to that. but. Uh so my contribution, my definition of artificial intelligence is the, the following. First of all, I don't think artificial intelligence truly exists, right? We have, I guess if you define it in a particular way. So what we have today, we have something called learned 
artificial intelligence is what, what I would call it, right? That it learns, and it can learn. Mathematical algorithms are a perfectly legitimate model to stimulate learning, right? That's what we call machine learning. However, inferred intelligence, uh, inferred artificial intelligence, which would be real intelligence, I don't think we're, we're there yet. I think that's another 50 years out. But with that said, uh, I'll quickly you know, just tell a story uh, that I tell to every one of my students that I've ever had uh, when I used to teach. I would always say, look, you know, how does the human eye see? So the human eye is taking in this energy, like this little thing called photon, right? And it has certain attributes. It has a wavelength, right, which tells you the color. It has an intensity, which tells you the brightness. And it has other attributes, right? A direction and so on, so you know where it's coming from. So our brain takes that and it processes this data and it says, well, look, you know, I call that particular thing red. And we have the concept of red from that, which again, you, this is uh, like you said, like you guys said, right? This is the breakdown of reality into mathematical expression, as you said, Rich, right? So with that said, I do believe that the, the learned intelligence, we're at the cusp of building as a race right now, as, a, as humanity, we're at the cusp of truly coming up with a system that can do learned intelligence really well. And I think Shuma would have to agree with you, it's probably deep learning. It is probably a system from deep learning. And I think all this is getting really augmented by uh, the simple, the, the you know, crazy hardware revolution we've had recently, where we finally have uh, data access read write speeds going down, we have the NVIDIA Pascal GPU, which is 6,000 yep. cores on a chip. So you can do 6,000 things at the same time at about a billion computations a second, a gigahertz a second, which is insane, right? But we'll be uh, getting deeper into this, yep. right? As uh, I, I, Deeper into deep learning, right? A lot of puns here. Uh, so, well, with that said, right, with the definition of our, uh, our particular definition of AI out of the way, right? What do you guys think over the next five to 10 years, right? Blue sky thinking is the most impactful application for AI. Impactful not in a sense that it's going to increase profits. Impactful is in a sense that it's going to make the world a better place. Or it could be both. You could make a world a better place by making a lot of money. Why not? So, Rich, why don't you start with that? Well, I think the, over the if you gave me such a narrow time frame as far as the, the implications of AI and, and deep learning, I'd, I'd have to sort of take it down into more simpler forms, right? No, you Even can, though I don't think it's AI. Go far out, it's the, okay. the opportunities here are across a couple of different areas. But they're driven, uh, you know, as you mentioned before, the cost of computing comes down, the computer scalability and everything goes up exponentially. And then the other aspect is just how much data is out there. You know, applications that are data hogs and looking at everything from your... your um, uh, your fitness trackers, right, and how you know what your heart rates are and what your mood is during the day, and going into your cell phone, right, and, and how many times it checks in with the towers and, and and gets your GPS coordinates to, you know, everything that we're seeing in Pokemon Go uh, and all the data that that's capturing. So when you start to capture all this data, you're obviously as a human, you're overwhelmed and can't really make sense of it without a massive level of automation. And um, you know, automated intelligence I think is maybe better than artificial intelligence for, for where these applications are going right now. You know, but I see I see the opportunities here maybe in, in four main areas, particularly in financial services, where uh, where I'm responsible for. One of those is in uh, sales and marketing, right? So if you start to look at how you can understand uh, prospects and your customers better, so who who are the best people to market to, and who are the best ones to cross sell and upsell to, and a lot of that is going to be driven by 
you know, everything you can learn about that prospect or about that customer. And that happens to deal with the transactions that are happening, your age to retirement, your risk aversion, you know, how long you're surfing, what you're surfing from, if it's your mobile or, or, um, or desktop device, for example, when you're engaged, when you're not engaged on different sites. Um, and then if you take that uh, merger with household data, so they know your income, number of kids, demographic kind of information, and then you really look at some of these other inferred behaviors, you know, you are likely to be this kind of a person who's interested in, you know, international travel or wines and things like that. Um, those inferences ultimately can help us lead to recommendations on smart lead list uh, generation and, and those kinds of, uh, of activities. Uh, the second one is really around your, your customer, your product service. Um, so how can you enhance your, your product better and deliver more value to your customers? And in financial services, you know, that could be looking at um, the kinds of articles that you're interested in. All of a sudden you get a daily email of things that are not only in your portfolio, uh, but things that you should be looking at without having to know the right questions to even ask. And that unknown, unknown kind of paradox is, is really where that comes in to be. What should I be looking at? rather than what I am looking at with my simple brain. Um, the third area is robo-advisory, and that gets into a lot of recommendations, but um, you know, if you're really talking about basic investment advisor kind of things and understanding what your risk portfolio is, um, you know, the computational methods behind that are fairly simple. I'm a seven out of 10 on risk aversion, and I've got 30 years to retirement and, and these kind of variables. Um, you know, the, the robo-advisors can recommend some very basic um, sets of asset allocation strategies for you. And I think, you know, that'll actually probably service more of the, the lower end financial planning kind of needs than someone with a few million dollars and, and much more diversified assets or tax strategies and everything to, uh, to get into. And then the final area is under compliance uh, and risk. So we're looking at things like anti-money laundering, fraud detection, even cybersecurity. When you have so much uh, information coming in and, and telemetry from the computers or from, um, you know, from a lot of the other sensors that you would have out there, how can you uh, sort through all that information and detect things, you know, that anomalous behavior, rare event detection uh, kind of stuff, and how do you reduce some of the false positives so that you can have a human with real intelligence start to sift through that information. So, you know, sorry for rambling on there, Shubham, and, and, and looking at that, but, you know, I think those four areas are going to be very, very key to, you know, sort of where we take the offerings moving forward, uh, I think within financial services and into it, but, you know, those common patterns would exist in many other industries as well. Very, very, very thorough. And that's okay, you can ramble. We, we allow that. Step, step. Yeah. <laughs> Go um, ahead, Shubham. So, um, so I, you know, Rich, thanks for bringing it, um, you know, to a more uh, practical view. But I, I'll uh, talk a little more fanciful. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I think that, uh, you know, there are, there is one trend that that is driving AI, and that is data, right? So there's increased quantification of the human self, and there's increased quantification of what you're doing on your machine you know, with clickstream and, you know, digital data, et cetera. So there's a lot more data available, right? And that's feeding the AI revolution as well, right? So it's both compute as well as increased data that's feeding that revolution. And then on the science side, it's, you know, the same old algorithms running on big data are more effective than they were. And some of those have been tweaked. Uh, you know, I think the deep learning uh, algorithms have gotten better. Uh, the neural nets have gotten better. It's not like we've used the same old neural net from the 60s. They have, you know, come out, come along a long way. For example, we have convolutional neural networks. We have recurrent neural networks, etc. We have reinforcement learning. So there has been advances in algorithms, but probably more in the nature of tweaks than 
radical dramatic advances coupled with the whole uh, you know same old algo on big data you know awesome uh, you know uh, the 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 way i see this going is that you know rich and you and i have talked about this uh, use case so now i have this fitbit on my hand right so now it's it's not capturing a heart rate but let's say it does right and it knows when i'm going up and down in my you know circadian rhythm or whatever right and and you can now plus i can marry that with the data on my work side right and and i marry that exhaust and you know you could potentially say that you know when when it's 3 pm you know shivam's metabolic rate changes and he should probably be focused on this kind of things right i mean he should probably do more meetings when it's 3 or you don't know, do walking meetings when it's three to be more productive so the immediate application will be on work productivity but i think if you take that productivity concept further it will be you know your work productivity but your life productivity as well and how can you be more productive on a vacation <laughs> potentially as well and so i think that's where this is going right and so you know rajiv who's not on the call today but on the podcast but you know we joke about this uh, it's not a joke but we talk about this use case where you know you will have a hardware accelerated device with you that you actually either plug in to augment your existing computational infrastructure at work or you take with you that is actually storing and we talk about this apple versus google view of the world that is storing uh, you know your own brood ai algorithm that helps you you know do multiple things okay. so one could be a next best action algo one could be you know maybe uh, you know uh, and an algo that actually has you know search functionality for you know your day to day tasks and so on and so forth so you have multiple artificial narrow intelligence algorithms running on your own dedicated device which is sped up uh, with dedicated hardware and so you know it's it's i think the immediate applications will be office productivity and then they'll probably be life productivity as well in the future but i think that's where it's it's going to go Yeah, I think I mean interesting uh, use case, and we we did mention this before. But if you start to merge that office productivity with life productivity, and you know, you know, at three o'clock your energy is low, and you start to understand that with your dietary needs, like do you have the candy candy bar, or do you have the fruit or something else? And and you know, coming out of all my meetings with Shubham, you're very stressed out. You feel <laughs> like you have to reward yourself with a candy bar. So actually, if you start to merge it with your calendar, and then understand the health uh, implications of that. You know, I do think there's definitely some real opportunities to, you know, have more sophisticated next best action. So it's not just a walking meeting; it's a walking meeting with this person who is also in a similar um, kind of scenario, where you're both going to be a lot more productive, productive together. Or if you start to get down your call list as a salesperson, you know, knowing who's on the other end of that call and what their sort of rhythms are going to be and how receptive they are at three o'clock versus you know nine in the morning. You know, that's when you get to a lot more intelligent ways that you can interact across, you know, personal data sets. No, that's yeah. Both of you guys brought brought very, very, very interesting applications. Now, for me though, right, there are two things here. Uh, there is one that I want to see, right? As a as a scientist, I want to see. Uh, this is probably going to be stored under Alphabet for S, not, <laughs> not Skynet. No. Uh, uh, something uh, I. Definitely. Well, you know, to be uh, to be fair and to be serious, what I would like to see is a simulation of the real world, right? A, a simulation. What, what do I mean by that? So a uh, a team of physicists in Brazil, I believe, in South America, when I was really young, early two thousands, right? 
this is what they did. They simulated the Big Bang many, many times. So they ran Monte Carlo simulations on a very big grid infrastructure and they simulated the Milky Way, all right? The beginning of the universe. And every single solution converged to the current state of uh, uh, the universe, right? Uh, in the makeup of the galaxies and the expansions and all that, right? And I thought that was amazing. So one of the big things that I focused on in school was also Monte Carlo simulations. I, in fact, invented some algorithms in that space uh, as well when I was in school. So I did some research in there. So what I would like to see is Alphabet, uh, as they are a conglomerate now, which own Google. And Google is like 50% of a psychological profile of any digital native living in the Western world today, right, even in the Eastern world to some degree, you are, you are very easily approx uh, you know, approximable through the Google data, through your Google profile. So a real-world simulation uh, that tries to run Monte Carlo simulation, this is going to require a lot of computing, that's why I'm saying alphabet, which tries to see the different way things can evolve in the world, with different actions people can take, and the some aggregate of those. Now, you've seen Tomorrowland, the movie? Right? Well, they have that in there, right? But going away from sci-fi, this is a stupid, fun thing that I want to try to see, but I do believe if we could build something like that, that can have major impact on, on humanity. But that is just like the pie-in-the-sky, blue-sky thinking. It is not, actually. Because What's if it? you, I don't know if you've read uh, Isaac Asimov's uh, End oh. of Eternity. I have, have the I have the full box set so, of Isaac. Uh, yes. In the end of eternity, I think uh, they have a simulation, right, that these guys build, and they can predict populations, right. So what you're saying is, I may not be able to predict Mandeep, you know, a year from now, but I can yeah. predict the whole population a year. From the now. aggregate effect of people, yes, which yes. is much easier. And too. that's that's what that's what they talk about there, and so or he talks about there. So. Right. You know, it's definitely doable, and who knows, Google is probably already running simulations to see yeah. how groups behave, right? Yeah, Mr. Page and Mr. Sergey, please invite us over. We would love to work for free on that, actually. I would, totally. Uh, but on a serious note, though, this is a, sorry for the shameless plug, but I was discussing this with a, a few friends of mine when I was still at Bloomberg, and I looked at how Bloomberg had accumulated financial data and they've changed the world, and I think Healthcare industry is right for that exact same concept, where we go in, uh, centralization of healthcare data, uh, real-time analytics, which works to predict outbreaks of, uh, so if you have a lot of influenza cases coming from a Dallas hospital, and all of a sudden you know exactly how this is going to evolve, going to evolve yeah. you can stop that before it happens, right? Uh, you could stop the Zika virus through that because the information, the latency, is the lowest latency you could have. It's all real time, being centralized. Uh, you could save a lot of lives with that. And I felt very rather vindicated and annoyed when um, the former CEO of uh, Google, uh, forgot his name, famous Eric guy. Schmidt. Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, a month after I, st I was talking about this with my friends from med school, Goal uh, was giving an, an interview at, at a talk, and he said, "Well, if you uh, you know relax some of the HEPA regulation and anonymize this data and let us do centralization, we could save up to at least up to hundred thousand lives a year." And I felt kind of annoyed. I'm like, "It's like Simpsons did it from South Park. No matter what you think, somebody else is thinking about it." But but that that I think would be amazing. But there are so many regulatory hurdles in that. But I think. We are, even today, with the proper uh, cluster size, computing power, I think we're ready to do this. Yeah. 
But what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the point that you brought up on, you know, stopping the spread of, of virus, right, if you can understand, um, you know, sort of the, the issues around the Dallas outbreak, right? That assumes you know what factors that you should be looking for, and that assumes that there are enough sensors out there to yeah. be able to give you the enough data on those. And I don't think either one of those exists enough right now. I mean, you can certainly trace back, you know, were you in South America in the last 48 hours or 72 hours? Yeah. But, you know, I, I think you know, certainly you're not going to have all of that information. Uh, your point earlier about you know, whether or not there's a regulatory holder, uh, uh, regulatory hurdle to overcome. You've got privacy issues, you've got security issues, and you've got general business issues on all of these as well. And I think that's one of the things that's going to hold back, um, you know, a lot of the development and, and commercial applicability in this space. Uh, it's one thing that, to, you know, if you're Google and you happen to have millions and millions of sensors that's all around right. the world uh, that people are carrying around in, in their... Um, on their hips or in their purses. I mean, every time you sneeze, uh, ideally, I mean, your phone could pick that up. Not saying that companies don't turn on your uh, microphones. I mean, they've been known to do that. You know, let's be honest. But sorry, uh, sorry, cutting you off. Go ahead. No, so I, I think yeah. the you know, can, assuming you had all that information right, yeah. and you were allowed to use it, which is the next leap of faith, right? Yeah. You know, can the output of that be trusted by the business users, or you know, are you running into a lot of guilt by association? Are you running into too many inferences and the humans naturally distrusting sort of those outcomes and then going against it because you made the model too sophisticated. Yeah. You mean uh, the AI hipsters? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> you'll run into a little bit of that. But it, you know, if, if the you know, it's, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face or it's adding too much data, too much sophistication yeah. when you're not bringing people up that maturity curve enough. So if you look at... Um, an overall maturity curve for analytics or, or some kind of diagnostic that people would usually start out with, and, and we certainly offer that here at Antuit, you know, taking people and, and bringing them along that curve and allowing the humans to understand and, and adapt to the, you know, the, the ever-increasing pace of information that's coming at them that is much more relevant. You solve this problem, then you add a little bit to it, add a little bit to it, add a little bit to it, and, you know, it follows that same sort of project methodology we have is much more around impact projects. So bring something, get some value out there really, really quickly, and then just iterate on it rapidly. And you'll see the organization start to start to advance down that cycle. And, and that happens both in our business context, and I think it'll happen across society in general. And you know, as they get more and more comfortable with AI or deep learning, they're going to start to be able to trust those results more and actually base a lot more of their decisions on data and the real analytics behind it. You know, really you know, incorporating that into the decision science that we talk about here at Antwit. Nice, nice. No, that's uh, that's pretty good. But uh, so my uh, idea was for Alphabet that would be filed actually under H, and I think it should be uh, Hippocrates. But uh, or just hype. Hype. I like that. Very, very nice. Uh, okay, so on that uh, very elevated, hypeful note, uh, I think uh, we'll call it uh, an episode here. This is certainly a topic we will be revisiting from many different perspectives. Uh, a lot of very interesting ideas, guys. Especially around data security. I mean, we have to we have to do a cybersecurity episode yep. soon sometime. Yep. Especially around data security. I'm very interested in that. But that's all the time we have today, folks. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, have a very wonderful cold week. Please subscribe, listen to us uh, every week or as often as we can record these. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you.